This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount Plus. I'm in a period of emotional upheaval. I saw all the oh, I don't care crap. A little adventure. Where are you going? I'm gonna steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Way, Brady PG 13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Terramount Plus. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So, you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall, rock-climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So, whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Hello and welcome to The Great Indoors. The podcast which reveals everything you ever needed to know about interiors and explains how to make it all really work for you in your home. I'm Sophie Robinson. And I'm Kate Watson-Smythe. And you can sign up to be a member of The Great Indoors Insiders to support the podcast, enjoy ad-free listening, get bonus content, as well as first dibs on ticketed events. Just visit thegreatindoorspodcast.com. That's thegreatindoorspodcast.com. Now, on today's episode, we are very excited to welcome our guest, Henry Holland, to our audio studio. (laughs) Henry is a renowned British fashion designer who became iconic for his somewhat irreverent approach to fashion. Prior to the launch of his own company, Henry gained attention with his t-shirt designs, full of catchy slogans such as, I'll tell you who's boss, Kate Moss, which quickly gained attention from the fashion crowd. In 2008, he set up House of Holland, which became a celebrity favourite of everyone from Lindsay Lohan to Lily Allen. And Henry's eye-catching, bold and graphic style led him to plenty of big brand collaborations from packaging designs with Wrigley's Chewing Gum, designing denim with Levi's and even hosiery with Pretty Polly. Then came the pandemic. We need some dramatic music there. The world <laughs> the world spun on its axis and Henry was forced to take a break from the pottery lessons he had just begun taking at his local studio. And just like that, a whole new career was born. Welcome to the show, Henry. Hi. Hi. Thank you for that lovely introduction. It just made me chuckle because I once did a really big interview that I was so excited about doing with this really cool magazine. And irreverent was often a word that I would use to describe myself and there was a typo and it said irrelevant is how Henry (laughs) is is how Henry Holland describes his work and I was like great what an opener like so come back from that exactly so um thanks for getting it right this time well thanks for joining us it's I've been a massive fan of obviously of course I have of your work for many many years the color the joy the pattern the boldness so thank you I come from a different approach I'm still quite cross about the fact that well (laughs) you did a very cool black PVC Mac for Debenhams I recall and I saw it in a magazine and I spent weeks stalking that thing couldn't get one so if you've got one at the back of the wardrobe 
send it over to me because quite cross I haven't got it. Oh, afraid not. <laughs> Don't have one of those, yeah, unfortunately. See? Sorry about no, it. No, it's cool. It's cool. I went to TK Maxx. It's fine. But yeah, no, <laughs> thank you for one. saying that. Like, I, that's exactly why I make, I do what I do and make anything at all is to make people feel happy and bring them joy and. You know, that used to be injecting joy into their wardrobes and now it's into the rest of their homes, mostly their kitchens, I guess. There's so many ways to, to get into this, but let's let's just go straight in. A lot of people seem to pivot careers. You've gone from fashion to interiors. Uh, are you done with fashion? For now. I see it in two different ways now that I'm, you know, fully ensconced in the world of interiors. I see... All of those challenging aspects, you know, like literally churning out creative idea after creative idea. As a creative person, you put a a piece, a tiny piece of your heart and soul into every bit of creative output. And when you're giving that much of yourself that often and to that frequency, doing sort of six collections a year at least... And then on top of that, as a, as a fashion brand, you're not just creating collections. Now you're content creators, you're marketeers, you're manufacturers, you're distributors. You are all of these things all at once. And each one of them presents its own challenges. And it's really, you know, it is a lot to continue to sort of find the energy to do it. And you don't really realise how much it's taken out of you until you take that break, I think, sometimes. They've also, I think, the collections seem to have ramped up. I mean, I, I mean, it used to just be sort of spring, summer, autumn, winter, didn't it? So there were effectively two. And then it went to one for each season. And now we have cruise and I don't know what the others are called. Yeah, pre-fall and resort or cruise and pre-fall, yeah. yeah. I mean, what's going on? It's really just built around the retailers. It was, you know, the rise of fast fashion, H&M and Zara, they have new product every week. So for the kind of higher levels of the industry, they had to start keeping up to that level of appetite for the consumer. And they want, you know, every time I go to Selfridges, I want to see new things. So, you know, I was always torn between that because I was like, I've always been a huge consumer of fashion. But at the same time, as, as, a, as a designer and a maker of it, I was like, oh, slow it down a bit. But then every time I go in a shop, I'm like, oh, where's the new stuff? So, you know, it was, there was always that kind of dichotomy. So that, all of those things are really challenging and it does, you, do, you do come out with, of it with a bit of PTSD, joking aside. But in turn, what that's made me realise since going into the world of interiors is that I think I've managed to establish myself in that world perhaps a bit quicker because I'm used to working like a donkey. <laughs> so, you know, I'm used to working at a pace which is completely alien to anyone outside of the fashion industry, which has given me a huge advantage. So I always like to see the positive in things. So just tell me, what, what, does, that, what does that look like? That's quite interesting because obviously a lot of our listeners are interior designers, product designers as well. What does that look like? Tell us a little bit about your work ethic and how it's affected your new business. Well, so just for example, given the frequency of the newness that I would have to produce in fashion, you know, I, I sort of went into my, my ceramics business with a simil, similar appetite and similar anxiety that, you know, we need a new drop every month, whether it's a new shape or a new colour or a new pattern or a new product extension. And the team that I was working with, who were all ceramicists, who I had to kind of get on board quite early, I used to, you know, they'll test something for a couple of weeks and, you know, they often work in isolation on their own stuff. And it's a very slow 
process ceramics just by nature you know the making process is very slow with drying and firing and all of those different elements that go into it so my team were like slow down you're mental you're going too quick you're doing too much and I was like grow up <laughs> I was like we've only got one pattern in four colorways I was like I'd have made seven collections by now I've been around the world three times promoting them selling them marketing distributing them <laughs> they'd be in all the stores and they would have been in the sale by now so like come on let's just like meet me up here so They've kind of brought me down to a much more attainable and much more pleasurable pace of life. And I've had to really kind of embrace that and sort of calm my inner anxieties. But at the same time, I think because I'm used to that pace, I've kind of found a middle ground, which perhaps is slightly quicker than the rest of the interiors world. I'm so quite fascinated that you've ended up with ceramics because it is one of the slowest crafts. It's exactly what I was <laughs> going to say. Everything you can choose. Yeah. Potting is by and and people who are attracted to pottery is usually because it's slow, it's meditative. You can't rush it because if you dry it too quickly, it'll crack. My mum and my mother-in-law are both potters and there's this sort of like, you have to throw a pot every day. Is it for 100 days before you can throw or something? It's like AA. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know, and I'm just looking at you going, how have you ended up being a potter? <laughs> it's sort of like quite interesting. For all of those reasons you've just described, I needed that meditative pause in life I needed you know a moment to really tap back into my creativity in a way that didn't feel commercialized and didn't feel like this mass production hamster wheel and I found ceramics when I was going through you know some like hard personal issues you know my mum passed away not long after I'd kind of really started doing it as a business and you know she was ill for some time so it was a real escape for me. Um, and so in many ways, it really provided all of those things that you just described as to being why I shouldn't be in it. You know, it's like, it's slow, it's meditative, it's, in, you know, it's isolating. And I just, I got addicted really quickly to that feeling of just being completely engrossed in the creativity of building a pot. And don't get me wrong, I'm the most impatient person in the world of ceramics, possibly. I'm like... I I I mean I go to the studio at like two three in the morning because the kilns are cold enough to flip. So I'm like, keep it going, keep it going, you know. And I am I still have that impatience to me, but it's all it's it's an excited impatience because I want to see what's going on and see what's happening. But it's it's forced me to be more patient. Did you start like that? I'm guessing when you started in fashion, and I might be wrong, but did you start with? a sewing machine and you were actually doing the making or were you always more of the designer? Because the pottery, I'm guessing at the moment, the ceramics is hands-on, even if you're then passing it down to be made in larger quantities. And a lot of people who start in a business, in a creative business, they love the the physicality of making the thing to start with. And then as the business gets bigger, they're running the business. They don't do the making anymore. So you might Perhaps in fashion, were you making and then you just went to not just, but then you were drawing and then you were doing business. So is there an element of that to get back to the bottom of the the making? I mean, I can say this now because I'm no longer in the industry, but I've never made a garment in my life. I arrived in in fashion from a from a very atypical route. You know, I was a journalism graduate. I was working in teen magazines. I started making T-shirts. So for me, there was a sort of a logical route in that, you know, the first thing I did was write rhyming couplets on T-shirts. That's quite journalistic. That's, you know, it's very, you know, it's, it's a writing skill. 
Uh, and then that evolved to building out collections, which was much more about creative direction and working with a team. And yeah, exactly as you say, fashion as an industry, each garment, it's, it's, it's nigh on impossible to make them at any kind of frequency other than just, you know, making for yourself without multiple people being involved in the process, you know. You, you sketch a design, you know, you create mood boards, you build a story. You know, I love the whole storytelling around fashion and, you know, it's an ability to, to tell narratives. You know, and then the design gets sketched and then it's handed to a pattern cutter and then a pattern cutter will cut the pattern and then there'll be a fitting and then, uh, you know, with the final pattern, the machinist will, will sew up the garment and then you have to work with fabric mills and trim mills and source the buttons and, you know, print houses and all of these different processes that go into one single garment. It is, I mean, it's pretty impossible to do that by yourself. And the complete antithesis to that is I can go into the studio on a Sunday and turn a pile of mud into something which I think is beautiful and covetable and, you know, other people enjoy and brings people the same level of enjoyment. So, yeah, that's another thing that has really kind of pulled me in is the fact that I am hands-on. You know, every single piece that we make, we do ship now globally, you know, we have a few stores and partners around the world as far as Australia, but every single piece that we make is in the same room in Hackney. And so... I can go into that room at any one point and see whether it's an order for Liberty or an order for Australia or an order for Canada and I can see the product with my own eyes. And do you think that's important, your product, that you have that? I mean, for example, would you ever print ceramics, get a load of porcelain mugs and print your designs on Never them? say never. <laughs> if Emma Bridgewater or Wedgwood are listening and they want to buy the business, never say never. <laughs> I love it. What I'm hearing is like you're a proper artisan, but you've still got that commercial yeah. twinkle in your eye. I've still got bills to pay. <laughs> no, I, I've had this conversation, actually, and I, I do really love that we've become known for a certain technique which is this which is this technique of using colored clays and one of the things that that technique sort of it puts parameters around being able to mass produce it which is why you know it's it's a much more unique approach that you don't necessarily see that often in things like tableware you know because big production facilities don't want to change and clean down their entire production run to change over from a blue clay to a green clay to a terracotta clay you know they'll make all of their shapes and all of their silhouettes in one type of clay and all of the color and the detail is added at the glaze stage so I do think that is something that we we really need to keep a connection to is that unique approach that we've taken and something that you know hopefully is now a really strong part of our DNA. Can you tell me how you came up with this technique? Because it is a real signature. Or is it a secret? We will put pictures, for those who are not familiar, we will put pictures of Henry's work up on the blogs and on Instagram because it is a very distinctive, and I, I'm going to get this wrong now, are we going with a swirl of different coloured clay? Yeah, so it kind of creates quite an organic sort of stripey pattern, which you could call a wiggle or a stripe or a marble. But no, I, I was kind of like looking a bit meek about where did it come from because it's it's not a secret it's just not a very highbrow answer I mean I pretty much taught myself on YouTube in lockdown but but the way that I came <laughs> to find the technique is you know I started with ceramic lessons and I started making different shapes and silhouettes and I've always had a passion even in fashion to work on things that contribute to people's lives. I'd get much more of a kick from pieces that people would incorporate into their everyday wardrobe and wear again and again, rather than kind of, you know, a ball gown that they'll wear to one event. 
And similarly, that kind of utility approach to, to tableware. I love the idea that people are using the pieces again and again, and it's, it becomes, you know, a part of their life rather than something that gathers dust on a shelf. So I started making these different shapes and silhouettes and focused on tableware. And then I did start experimenting with underglazes and glazing. And, you know, the fact of the matter is my hand just wasn't that great in a painterly kind of way. And I was so used to working in, in fabrics and digital print techniques that the painterly kind of almost watercolour nature that glaze often creates just wasn't really feeling very me. And so I just started doing some research of my own. I mean, we all had, what, 24 hours a day to ourselves during the pandemic. To watch YouTube videos, yeah. Exactly. And so I would, I, I just started doing research of my own and then watching different people making, you know, different Narokomi techniques and then just gave it a go in the kitchen. And I think no one ever has the hindsight to be like, when I made the first piece, I was like, this is it, like light bulb moment, but I did... It was the first things that I'd made and I, when I opened that first kiln and I was like, ooh, that's really good. Like, I was so pleased with it. And then when I, I sort of started making some more pieces and I showed a few people and I put them on Instagram, and because of my previous life, um, you know, I have a following on Instagram and, you know, people who I knew and people that I didn't know were sending me a lot of messages saying, I know I'm your mate and I'm not blowing smoke up your ass. This is actually quite good. And then I was like, maybe I can sell it. Maybe I can make a few bits and I can just put it on Instagram and start an Instagram account and just see what happens. And it was still very kind of no plan. And my husband is like, why can you not have a hobby? What's wrong with you? Why do you have to sell everything you ever do? Uh, and I was like, because if people want to buy it. Um, and so that just sort of started the kind of wheels turning. And then again, I had so much time on my hands. I was like, I know how to build a website. So I built a website. Got me a new business. Bang. Yeah. yeah. And then it wasn't long after that that I got a message on Instagram again from the buyers at Liberty and they were like, can we buy some of your bowls? And I was just thinking they'd be like, you know, six to 12 bowls. And I was like, wow, this is like, if I'd have had a plan in my mind, that would have been my dream goal would be like, okay, let's get this into Liberty. And then instantly went back to the shared studio that I was in on Ridley Road and was like, who wants a job? <laughs> and so I, you know, and then I recruited a couple of the, t the guys that were just using the shared space. Like one of them still works with me and one's just moved back to Ireland. So yeah, worked with me for like the first couple of years. So it was a really nice you know, trajectory. There was nothing pre-planned. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I love your can-do attitude. It's very inspiring. Just that kind of like, yeah, I'll make that happen. And that's how my that's how my fashion career started as well. So it was a re it was almost a carbon copy. So I was kind of, I'd it wasn't that I'd sort of sort of squirrelled away in a bedroom for years and years on a fashion idea and then gone out to the world and tried to kind of sell it. Again, I made four T-shirts for my mates to wear to nightclubs, put a link on my MySpace to sell them. And within, again, under a month, Dover Street Market called and said, we want them. So it was almost like 
the exact same trajectory. It's like if you don't plan something and it connects to people, they'll, they'll, they'll come find it. I don't know. I mean, when you talk like that, it does sound like a fairy tale, but just to sort of bring you back to the top of the show. But, but then we talk about the, the, the burnout. You know, it's fine to have that sort of what sounds like a fairy tale, but let's not underestimate the amount of hard work and, and the hours you've done to make that happen. I'm also, I just wondered at this point, before we started recording, you were talking to Kate while I was trying to sort out the batteries in my um, recorder about tarot readers is this all? Did you know all this was going to happen? Has this all just been like? Were you just so sitting back and waiting? There's a tarot reader in Ibiza that can give you a full five-year business plan in ninety minutes from the other realm. <laughs> um, answer no, but I was brought up uh, by a very spiritual mother who wrote books on the power of positive thinking and the power of manifestation, and from as long as I can remember. I've been surrounded by manifesting kind of books and, you know, the power of positive thought. And I've always been taught that, you know, you talk things into reality and, you, you know, you believe them and, and they come true. So to a lot of people, my husband, namely, it's really annoying because I'm just like yeah it'll be great it'll work out it'll be perfect <laughs> and then I'm always on at him and I'm like see it happened now we have to do gratitude and he's like oh shut up but <laughs> I, I was so fortunate to have been brought up with that belief system that it wasn't something that you know as an adult I was like oh my life's shit I really need to figure out a way of trying to find a different mindset here to kind of help me out of this I just I've always had that positive approach to life just very much instilled in me as something that is so important you know you talked about it as my can-do attitude and when I talk about these things in this way often it sounds like I just sat there and it happened to me and you know everything's so easy and like you know I didn't really do much but there's a a hell of a lot of work that goes into all of it as you mentioned and it's just about realizing when an opportunity is an opportunity and not listening to your inner voice that's like, you can't do that. And just being like, well, says who? It's just about not being held back by, you know, people call it your inner saboteur or whatever you want to call it, but not being held back by any of that doubt. Do you have that voice, Henry? Do you have that voice every now and then that goes, what the hell do you think you're doing? You're not a potter. How dare you go out and suddenly smash the ceramics industry in a matter of months? Every single day, every single day in every single fashion show, you know, I suffer with a really loud internal <laughs> imposter syndrome, but I think I just was brought up with the tools to kind of not listen to it. Yeah, oh, like man. the most the most recent one, uh, where it was really strong was the Paul Smith exhibition, which I'd just done in partnership with with Paul, obviously. <laughs> it's in his store in Albemarle Street. And he and his team asked me to, to do an exhibition in his store and they work with, you know, artists, or upcoming artists or really established artists, a complete mixture, and they provide a space within their Albemarle Street store for them to, you know, put on exhibitions. And I really struggled there and I re my imposter syndrome was kind of deafening there because it was kind of, for me, that was really a huge leap forward of like, okay, I'm making sculptural one-off pieces and I'm asking people to, you know, really invest in these pieces. And, you know, but at the same time, the amount of work that went into it nearly killed me as well. So it was really, you know, 
as much as I worked really hard on it and it wasn't just something that I, you know, was like, oh yeah, that'll be fine. My imposter syndrome around that was, was tough to ignore. I got really quite panicked. One bit we, uh, one bit we missed out was your Habitat collaboration, which I remember mm. really clearly. Now that was pre, that was when you were still in fashion, no? Yeah. And that was sort of taking your fashion graphics and putting them on cushions and rugs and stuff like that. Yeah. But it feels like you've kind of moved away from that particular graphic style is it more like this new wiggle blob squidge sort of vibe you've got going on <laughs> wiggle blob squidge yeah i'm here for it w- yes. wiggle blob squidge yeah i like it as long as my personal trainer never uses any of those terms i'm fine with it <laughs> is are we going to see that because you do yeah you did rugs you did cushions tableware i mean yeah, how, you could do wallpaper. Yeah. What's left? Yeah. Ooh. I mean, it could go under textiles, couldn't it? He's on it. He's already on it. <laughs> yeah. So the the Habitat collections were, di- you know, were directly related to fashion collections that were, you know, released at the same time. And the House of Holland aesthetic was very different to the Henry Holland studio aesthetic. And, you know, one of the things that I found difficult towards the end of House of Holland was... I'd created such a brand with such a strong identity and such a strong personality that I was almost kind of struggling to evolve it with my, as my own personal taste evolved. You know, when you create a brand at 24 that has such a strong visual style, I don't know what your houses looked like at 24, but I'm sure they were different, you know, to today. You, your style evolves as, you, you know, as you grow older and you become a lot less obnoxious <laughs> I'm, I'm, talking, I'm talking from a personal perspective now that you become a, a lot less you know kind of in your face potentially and one of the things that really helped develop the Henry Holland studio aesthetic is just the the natural materials that I was working in with clay and the limited palette that I was able to to get my hands on so with the Paul Smith collection we've started for the first time dyeing our own colours and so you know we've introduced colours that we we can't you know buy elsewhere for the first time and that's created a seven colour pattern that we did but that was more to reflect his signature style. I wonder whether you think it's helped you, you you say now you can admit that you've never actually made a garment. You know, I don't know anything about fashion design, but one reads that tailoring is quite hard and that Alexander McQueen was all about the drape and the learning that. And I wonder whether because you never did that, you didn't have that, don't tell me it can't be done because this is what I want done. And whether again in pottery because you've come to it later, whether there's an element of you're much freer in both fashion and ceramics because you don't necessarily know the rules and you haven't got six people standing around you going, oh, no, you can't put that piece of fabric like that and you can't, you can't make that shape and that design. It's too difficult. Do you, do you think that's actually been more, more liberating, allowed you to be more creative? 100%. I always refer to it as ignorance is bliss in, in, in a positive way. I didn't study fashion, so I didn't have a lecturer telling me for three years the way something should be done and how my approach should be. I had to learn on the job. So don't get me wrong, I I never made a garment by myself. I didn't do that bit where I sat at a sewing machine in my bedroom, but I worked really closely with the team and I, you know, did a lot of fitting and we did, I would work on the form and, and do draping. And I definitely taught myself so much about fabrication and about, you know, man, the making of clothes and pattern cutting and all those things from being around it. But at the same time, like when, 
the example that I always come back to is when I made those tights. You referenced them in the in the introduction. I made some tights with Pretty Polly, and we ended up selling like two million pairs of those around the world. And the only reason I can see that I created something unique in hosiery is because I wasn't a hosiery designer. I didn't come from the starting point of. Hosiery should look like this, it should do this. A circular knitting machine can achieve this. Therefore, this is my creative output. I was like, what do I want people's legs to look like? <laughs> what do I think is funny? What do I think is cool? What, you know, what do I think is really playful? So I was like, well, like fake suspenders. And, and you know, the I went to the knitting factories a few times because they were in the north of England and I'd walk in there and, like, half of the machinists would be, like, really excited and, you know, waving at me from behind the machines and the other half would literally, like, get their <laughs> up at me because the, the, the nature of some of the things that I designed that I'd asked them to do and they were just like, oh, for <laughs> God's sake, not this again. So, that you know, I, I was challenging convention through not understanding process, I think, is probably a, another way to, to look and at do it. You, would you impro- um, approach interior design? I mean, we've talked a lot about fashion and product, but opening the window into how you decorate your home. Have you ever decorated anybody else's home? Is that is interior design as in pulling a whole room together mm. something you're interested in? And if so, what would be your philosophy around that? It's something that I'm passionate about and I absolutely love. And I also live with a husband who disagrees with every single idea i think i have oh no does he have views <laughs> oh oh mine has oh, views. views mine has views it's a nightmare <laughs> nightmare so i know we often kind of debate quite a lot about what to do but yeah I, I love you know decorating a home and the house you know your environment is just so important for me my wardrobe like what i wear what i i love the power that that has to change my mood and similarly as I grow older and I spend a lot more time in my house, you know, for the last 20 years, it's been like a hotel, I'm never here, but now I spend a lot more time here. And so what does it look like? Can you give us an insight? Well, at the moment, not great. We, it's quite plain, it's quite subdued, it's quite calm. We've been in this house now for almost two years and we haven't really got around to doing much more than the roof and the windows, which is just, for a creative and a visual person, you're like handing over a cheque for something that looks worse at the end of it. I'm like, so I've got unpainted windows now and now I've got no money. So that was that was hard, but, you know, my husband is meticulous and doing things in the right order. There's no point decorating a room if the roof isn't watertight. And I'm like, fine. <laughs> he is right, depressingly. But, uh... I know he is. That's what's, so, that's what's so annoying. So we moved in here, like, in the height of the pandemic and it was very... It was a bit like, you know, when someone's just decorated a house to sell it or maybe it was rented. And so we've just... we Again, meticulous husband. So we're decorating from the top down so that we don't drag any mess through. Oh, and it seems like we should be watching this space then when it comes to, indeed, your home renovation and... I'm seeing world domination generally. Yeah. Well, that was the, the thing that I always found the biggest privilege about my career in fashion was that I got to see the world on other people's cash. Like, <laughs> I think had I not have had the travel element to my work, I would have had a, a kind of, you know, a midlife crisis much earlier than I did and was like, no, I'm done with this. I need to go and see the world, close everything down. But I would be travelling, you know, at least six times a year seeing the world and... 
but really getting to know places as well. Like we would spend about four or five weeks a year in Paris. There was a time when I spent a week a month in China for two and a half years. So I was, you know, Hong Kong and all these amazing places that I got to travel to. Um, and I, I, I want to try and figure, you know, infuse that sense of travel into this business in a way. That sounds amazing because you re- it's almost like you've returned home. It's time to design your home, but you've got all this wealth of experience that's going to feed your creativity and hopefully some time, if you don't let yourself get too busy, some time to really yeah. enjoy it. <laughs> but also as a creative, you're, const- you're a sponge. You're constantly absorbing new ideas and new and new things and you know traveling the world and seeing different places and experiencing different cultures is so important dare we ask is that i mean i think you perhaps aren't allowed to talk about it but what's what's next we're, we're expanding our glassware collection we're, so we're working on some new silhouettes we're doing some stemmed glasses and then the bigger projects will be later next year but there will be more categories that we'll be working in, which will much more kind of allow you to infuse our aesthetic throughout the home. <laughs> Let's say that. Secret categories. We, we, we see. We secret categories. Yeah. So everybody, you will have to watch with us for the secret Sorry, categories because we know no more than you. Oh, Henry, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. It's been oh, just an absolute delight. No worries. Thank you so much for having me. And the best place for people to find you, do you want to let everybody know what your website is? It's henryhollandstudio.com. That's henryhollandstudio.com. Well, that was so interesting, wasn't it? It just goes to show you can always follow your dreams when it comes to work and also making a change of career halfway through. Before we go, I'll just remind you once more about our Great Indoors Insiders Club, where you can enjoy ad-free listening, bonus content and first dibs on ticketed events. Just visit thegreatindoorspodcast.com to sign up. And thanks to our producer, Sarah Cadden of Feast Collective. And thank you so much to you for listening. And we'll see you in the great indoors.